0: mindfulness mode 178
1: when you're fully mindful you're fully aware of doing the right thing and you've got to have a compass for me you know my faith is my compass
0: reach new heights of calm focus and happiness with me your host and mindfulness life coach bruce langford Hey Mindful Tribe, thanks so much for being here today. If you're a podcaster, or maybe you've thought about starting a podcast, I highly recommend it by the way, but I have a suggestion, and that is that there's a terrific event happening in Orlando, Florida, February 23rd to 25th, back in 2015, when I was thinking about starting a podcast, I attended an event which really, really got me started, got me meeting great people. And then uh, a few months later, I was invited to be a speaker. And that was at this event called Podfest. Now that was the 2016 version. Now the 2017 version is coming up. And know this would be a great chance if you're thinking about a podcast to attend because i'm going to be a speaker again it's called this year podfest multimedia expo and it is a great place to meet like-minded people to learn about podcasting it's just a terrific experience i loved how the event was was run last year and chris kermitos is the person organizing it and he just did a super job of making you feel like you are really part of a family. So check it out online. It's podfest.us. That's www.podfest.us. Now, like I said, thanks for being here today and happy new year, it's 2017. I mean, I'm so excited and I'm one of the, well, I have one of the happiest sounding men I know on the show today. He's not only happy sounding, he is a truly happy person. And I believe that's a huge part of his success. He says his happiness comes from his faith. And after talking with him, I felt his strength and his incredible faith. He's a powerful mentor. Enjoy today's special New Year's episode with Aaron Walker. He is awesome. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited to have Aaron Walker with us today. Hey, Aaron, are you in mindfulness mode?
1: Hey, Bruce, I'm fully present, fully aware. I'm ready to
0: go. (laughs) That's great. And I'm looking forward to having a few laughs as well today. Aaron Walker is a businessman, a life coach, and he's inspired so many people through the work he's done, through his masterminds, through his inspiring mentorships. At the age of 27, Aaron sold his business for millions and he retired only to regret this decision later. We'll be talking about that on today's show. Aaron gets great pleasure out of helping others and he believes experience is one of the best teachers. 35 years of entrepreneurship and marriage have given Aaron a wealth of experience. And he integrates mindfulness into his life Every day, we're going to find out how. So, Aaron, let's start with that. What does mindfulness mean to you?
1: You know, I think it means exactly kind of what I was teasing about uh, at the beginning. I think Mm -hmm. it means being fully aware, or at least to the best of my ability to be fully aware and conscious of my present state of mind. And so how do you achieve that? How do you stay conscious of your state of mind? I don't stay that way. It's, <laughs> it's a work in progress. I think anybody would be fibbing to us if they said that they are fully aware all the time. We have trials and tribulations in our lives that, yes. uh, you know, that don't allow that always. And so... The, the thing is, is I surround myself with a lot of people. I've always asked a million questions. My wife said I ask too many questions, but I'm constantly asking questions to the men that are around me. Jim Rohn says we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with, and I choose to spend time with great leaders, great men, thought leaders in our community, and I ask them, hey, do you see me dropping the ball? Do you see me doing this or that? Because other people see you differently yes. than you see yourself, And so for me to be fully aware, I need to enlist the support of other people around me. And I
0: know you have a strong faith, a strong Christianity. How does that help you stay grounded?
1: Well, I think that's paramount. I mean, that's number one in my life, Christ. uh, You know, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old, and it's been the most important part of my entire life. And I think that everything comes Uh, from being grounded out of my faith. Uh, I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and scripture reading and praise and worship music, uh, just constantly staying engaged with my faith and the people that are around me. And I think God speaks to us in a small, still voice, and he can't do that unless we're spending time with him through the meditation and through prayer. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the word that I get from him is maybe not what I would want personally But I feel like as a person of faith, I need to go down that path. And so it keeps me fully grounded by staying plugged into him.
0: Well, you mentioned Christian music. Do you create your music? Are you listening to the music? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I'm listening. I couldn't create (laughs) it. Listen, I get out of the shower singing sometimes and my wife will go, hey, cut that. That's not good. It's good (laughs) while I'm in the shower. She says, yeah, but, but trust me, this is not good. But no, I just love to listen to praise and worship music of, you know, all groups. I don't necessarily have a favorite group. I just really enjoy listening to it. And I do that. I walk on the Greenway a lot here in Hendersonville. It's not far from my house. And it's just an hour, hour and a half for me of walking, meditating, praying, listening to praise and worship music before I get my day started.
0: Right, right, and I've enjoyed some of your Facebook lives where you've been sharing messages and and just strong little bits of encouragement. It's always it's always really great. Well, I'm a musician and have been a church musician for a long time, and and I really believe that we can learn and be inspired so much through music. So I I really am glad that we had a chance to talk a little bit about the music. You talked about prayer and meditation. Are they the same? thing to you or are they two different things?
1: No, they're two entirely different things for me personally. Uh, I don't really have a practice or a system or a formula that I use. When I say meditation, I just mean sit, being quiet. And I do that first thing every morning, five days a week. And I've done that for years and years and years. I get up early, I get up you know, really early. I'm an early riser. I, I go to bed early, too. I like to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I love to get up early in the morning. And I'll sit there with a cup of coffee, you know, for 20, 30 minutes, not praying, uh, not listening to praise and worship music, not reading scripture, uh, just being quiet. And you know, Bruce, what's funny is, is God really speaks to me more at that time than any other time because I'm not busy asking for something or I'm in deep thought about a particular thing. It's just that it's really, quite honestly, it's a difficult thing to do uh, because not to let your mind go to other activities or solving problems because we're all busy, but continually staying in a state of idleness and being quiet and meditation, just listening And oftentimes, you know, I feel like I connect with God on a much deeper level.
0: So how early is this, Aaron?
1: Yeah, I get up between four and five normally. Uh, I was up early this morning, uh, even a little earlier than that. Uh, I had some things that I wanted to get accomplished, and so I got up earlier. But uh, it's before the day starts. There's no emails. The phone's not ringing. I don't turn on any devices Until I go through this hour, hour and a half of my alone time each day. Because if I turn on the email or Facebook or Twitter or whatever platform you're on, it distracts you. You start thinking about that. You need to get back with someone. And then I'm like everybody else. I go to that and figure out what's blown up in the middle of the night (laughs) that I need to fix. Or the person that's yelling the loudest that I need to pay attention to. Or whatever the activity is. But I think it's very important to get centered and start your day out that way. And I've really walked people through that. I even wrote a document called Steps to a Productive Day where it trains people to go through this exercise and then go on about your day. But I think it's very, very important, regardless of who you are or what faith you're involved in, that you start your day out in a sense of calmness, if you will, uh, rather than getting up, rushing out the door kind of half cocked, you know, I'd rather Mm -hmm. be prepared, ready for the day.
0: Wow. I really, really relate to that because I do very much the same thing myself, get up between, well, it's usually around five, a little bit earlier, a little later sometimes. And and I do that same kind of thing. So, and then you, you walk every day. How long do you walk for?
1: Yeah. Five miles, excuse me, three to six miles, depending on how I feel five days Mm -hmm. a week. Right. Right. And then
0: during that time, that's, kind of like your prayer time or your meditative time as well then, right?
1: Yeah, it is. A buddy of mine uh, moved to Nashville recently. He's in our mastermind groups. We have what's called Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind Groups. And mm-hmm. he joined the group. He lived in Louisiana, and he's a great guy. I mean, I just love this guy. He's got such a great heart. And he moved about a mile from the Greenway, which mm-hmm. is only about a mile from me as well. And he emailed me one day a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, hey, Big A, I'm going to be joining you on the Greenway. And I (laughs) said, no, you're not. (laughs) I said, hey, I love you, but that's my time. And I don't allow anybody else to uh, get involved in it because if I do, I'll end up talking, solving problems, coaching, coaching. Yeah, I'll be distracted, and that's my time. And so after that, if I feel it, I'll do a Facebook Live and talk about some of the things that uh, that God has inspired me with, or some things that are on my mind that I just Mm -hmm. want to share. It started out kind of fun. I was even sharing with you uh, when I first started doing those. It started out just like, "Hey, I got something on to share," and this turned into be. Uh, Very meaningful and purposeful to a number of people. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it. It's impromptu, you know, it's not scripted, it's not polished. I'm out there in hats and toboggans and gloves and whatever I'm wearing, depending on the weather. And uh, I just share what's on my mind. And I think it connects with people well, Bruce, because it's not polished and scripted. I think people want genuineness. I'm a very transparent, open guy. I think you can't help people. I even get mad at a lot of the people that I know personally that over the years, they don't want to tell their junk. You know, they're like, no, man, we can't do that. They'll think less of us or they won't think we're a great leader. And I'm saying that's bull. They'll think more of you if you're transparent. People can't identify with people that are not genuine. I have troubles and I have days I don't want to get out of the bed and I have you know, anxiety oftentimes. And I have to learn to get that in check. And I don't care how much money you've got. It doesn't eliminate the fact that you're real and we need to be real and share with people our obstacles and our trials and our tribulations. But then we need to teach people how to overcome them and then they can identify with you. And that's what I've tried to do on the Greenway.
0: Well, you really do it well, and I totally agree, Aaron, that we are in an age of authenticity. That's where people want to really know the inside scoop about what makes you tick. But you mentioned sometimes you have anxiety, you have junk to share. Well, Man, I got to tell you, you just sound so happy out there. Even when you're talking about something that doesn't make you happy, you sound happy. How do you How do, you do that? How, like, I mean, I don't even think you do it. That's just you. But do you have any words about why it's you?
1: Oh, I do. I very much <laughs> do. Our attitude is the only thing we're in 100% control over. Yeah. And if you think about it for a minute, that's true. Nothing else you can control. And happiness is a choice. It's not a trait. And you've got to elect to be happy. you got to choose. We all have bad stuff, man. I have family situations I have to work through and I get in arguments and disagreements with my wife. And we all have that. If you're carnal, you know, if you're a human being, mm-hmm. if you've got a heartbeat and a pulse, you're going to deal with these issues, but it's how you deal with them. You can choose to curl up in a fetal position or crawl under your desk and you can choose to be angry. You can, you can choose all those things. Or you can choose to take the high road. You can choose to have, as Carol Dweck says in her book, Mindset, a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. You can choose to view your glasses half full, not half empty. You can choose whatever it is you fill in the blank. And I'm just going to tell you, Bruce, I choose to be happy. I just choose. We only have one go through. This Mm -hmm. is not a trial run. We don't get a do-over. This is it. This is life. And if you're going to enjoy yourself, you've got to choose. Let me tell you what that does, though. It doesn't only impact you. It impacts your family. Like, you know, I coach men. So I'm saying, guys, you set the tone at home, right? You come home. You can be, you know, that guy or you can be, hey, daddy's home. You can be or or it's, oh, God, daddy's home, you know, or your wife. Is she as excited to see you as she is maybe her girlfriend's? Right, they come over. She's all amped up. Does mm-hmm. she feel that way when you come home, or does she want to run the other <laughs> way because of your sucky attitude? You know, yeah. I don't know a better word, but I'm just saying, I want to be the guy that brings light to the room. I don't want to be the guy that's a vacuum that the whole energy gets sucked out of the room because you showed up. Everything's always wrong. There's this person's doing you wrong. Right. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be like, you know what, this happened, but as a result of it this happened and I was able to make this out of it. And so I just think, Bruce, it's the way we look at things. And I don't want to get that bad news one day and say, well, hey, I screwed up. I have all these regrets and now I can't fix it. And I'll tell you what changed that for me, Bruce. Uh, My attitude wasn't quite as positive uh, pre-2001. I was a jovial guy to be around, but my whole Disposition, my whole attitude, my whole desire was on success, and we had some early on. And as you said in the bio, I you know retired at 27, found out that wasn't the exact thing I probably should have done, and went on to have other businesses. But in 2001, I was headed to the office. I had left my church on Wednesdays. We go down there and pray with the staff and pray for our families. And it was 7:30 in the morning. I was almost to the office and a pedestrian crossed the street to catch a bus. He didn't look my way. And I ran over and killed a pedestrian. Wow. And my my life took a different path that day because I won't go through all the details. Very, very tough on me at the time. Uh, we had a business that was very successful, and we sold it and took five years off. I didn't do anything for five years. It took me a while to work through that. God's grace was sufficient, though. He gave me the ability to move on, and I chose. I chose. I could have stayed down, right? But yeah. it's like, hey, I couldn't help it. It wasn't my fault. Uh, he just walked out in front of me. He didn't look my way. He was 77 years old. His name was Enrique. He was from the Philippines, and mm-hmm. we found out later he just didn't see me. He just mm-hmm. couldn't see well. And I thought, you know, my life had great success up to them, but there was no significance. Mm-hmm. See, the only persons that cared about my life was my family, our success. We had all the stuff, and I won't go through all that because it's not relevant, but I thought, I'd never focused outward. I'd never been really the inspiration to other people. I'd never really tried to help you achieve your goals and your dreams. And from that point on, I said, I'm going to focus outward more than inward. And I started helping people achieve their goals or dreams. I was a connector. I started helping people open their businesses. And you know what's funny? I became not only significant, but more successful. And what's funny in that is the natural reciprocity of that attitude. People want to be around you more. They want to do business with you more. They want to buy your product. They want to buy your services because you're helping them achieve their goals. See, we start looking outward more than inward. And I know a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that sounds good theoretically. No, practically it works. I'm telling you, I've done it in multiple businesses since then. And they continue to be even more successful and more significant. And everybody wins as a result of it.
0: Wow, that's really inspiring. Focus outward. And, and really, it's about creating a legacy, isn't it, Aaron?
1: Yeah, and I started thinking about that when I had the automobile accident. And I mm-hmm. said, what would my legacy have been? Here's what it would have been. The guy started with nothing because I came from a really broke family. My mom and dad were super people, high character, moral values, people of integrity. It's just that my dad wasn't a businessman, Mm -hmm. and so we didn't have any money. And I said, now I've made a little bit of money, and I've been successful, you know, but I haven't reached out to other people to help them. My legacy would have ended right there. It would have been it was all about himself. And I started feeling ashamed. I was embarrassed. I thought God gave me these talents to start businesses. We've started, sold, or bought over a dozen businesses now. And I said, what a shame my life would be to look back and think it was all about Big A. You know, Mm -hmm. a guy even told me after I retired, I retired three times, Bruce. My wife says I've retired more than the law allows, (laughs) and a buddy of mine, you know, I've been in a mastermind group with Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Ken Abraham and Jeff Mosley, some of those guys you may or may not know. Yeah, but I for do, yeah. you know, since 1995, and uh, one of my buddies came up to me and he said, uh, "So you've retired again?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You're awful young." And I said, "Yeah, I am." He goes, "That's the most selfish thing I've ever heard of." And I said, "What?" <laughs> he said. <laughs> So now you're 50 years old. You got enough for yourself and good luck to everybody else. Is that what you're saying? And I said, no, it made me mad. I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. He goes, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to play golf and I'm going to fish. He goes, well, that's what I'm talking about. He said, you're 50 years old. You got another 30, 35 years left. You got so much experience in business. You and Robin have been married successfully over three decades. Man, you need to share and you need to coach. And I said, I'm not coaching anybody. Dave Ramsey invited me to do the Entree Leadership Mastery Series. He gifted it to me. Don't tell anybody that. But anyway, oh, okay. he gifted <laughs> it to me. And then I went to Dan Miller's Innovate, and I loved it. Bruce, it was amazing. Yeah. Dan Miller texted me on the way home, and he goes, Aaron, because we all live here in Nashville, and he texts yeah. me. He goes, those guys were leaning in, listening to your stories. And I said, well, maybe I'm a good storyteller. He said, no. He said, you've got a message, and you've got a heart to help people. So anyway, I started coaching. Bruce, I'm having more fun now than I've ever had in my entire life because other people are accomplishing their dreams, Uh, maybe a little bit from my instruction and my guidance and direction, uh, but it has been an absolute blast to help other people achieve their goals.
0: Wow. That's inspiring. It really is. You've done so many things. You had this successful marriage that you still have with Robin. Tell us what you do to make your marriage so successful, Aaron.
1: Yeah, well, I said earlier, we fight like everybody. We have disagreements. (laughs) Robin keeps me in check. I mean, she, listen, we've been together. Robin was two weeks out of high school when we got married. And uh, so we, I taught her how to drive when she was 16 years old. So we've been together a long time and we both come from very, very humble backgrounds. And we said, hey, we can't mess this up. We get an opportunity. We need to delay gratification, pour all the money back into the business and build something. And that's what we did. God protected us in that arena. But what we figured out early on is it takes a lot of communication I mean, we're very, very open in our relationship as far as the communication. She'll tell me in a nanosecond if something's bothering her. I'm not quite as open with that. I try to be, but sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll say, hey, we got to talk about it. But we'll go out on the front porch and we'll sit and talk. We've lived our life very deliberately, very intentionally. We know what we want. And that's one of the big things that I want to encourage your listeners to do if they haven't is the truth is, Bruce, most people don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And I even wrote a document titled that, What Do I Want? One of the questions on it is, Bruce, if you were to get up tomorrow morning, no geographic or financial limitations, what would you do with your life? Well, most people don't know. When you ask them that question, they go, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I would do. Well, see, that's really a pity. Because we can do anything we want to do. Most people don't know what they want. Here's what we do. We live reactively, not proactively. Get more, get bigger, get better, get shinier, get faster, just give me more. And then when you get all that stuff, it temporarily scratches the itch. And then later it's like, hey, it doesn't do it anymore. And, and I got to have something else. And we go get a storage building and we fill it up in bigger attics and bigger barns. And we put more stuff in there and we just get more stuff. I had a beach house, you know, and mm-hmm. and we had a place in the mountains. And what I found out is nobody cares about that stuff. Nobody. What people care about is the relationship. Mm-hmm. What people care about is how you know in me your life is better as a result of it. Now, that's lasting. See, because nobody cares what you drive. Nobody cares how much money you make. And then when you get that place, it like makes you feel good for a few minutes. And then you realize it's not doing it for me anymore. And what I tell people is the most important things in life is building relationships intentionally. And that's what Robin and I've tried to do with each other we said we want to make this much money, go on these trips, live in these places. We don't want this. We just sold a big old house that we had. We didn't need it anymore. And people, my friends said, man, you're selling that place and you're buying this place. Yes, because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. See, I don't live my life for other people. A lot of people, I tell people don't should on me. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, I should do what Robin and I want to do. And so Robin and I live our life that way. I don't have the big fancy house anymore, but what I do have is time to go to the ballpark every weekend with my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I do have time to go out to dinner with them. I do have time to spend with them. The big house was taking up all my time, effort and energy and I was letting the relationships go. So you got to look at it for whatever it is for you. See, I don't know what that is. You have to fill in the blank. you got to decide What success means to you as an individual. For me, it's choosing my own schedule and having financial freedom. It was engaging family, meaningful relationships. And I want a clear conscience with every transaction. So I want to go above and beyond what I need to do to help people. I want to learn to be content, not complacent. I want to have a clear sense of direction. I love to dream. I want to have meaning and purpose in my life. And at the end of the day, I want to leave a legacy of relationships. And so we got to figure that part out for each and every person. So I encourage your listeners, what do you want? Get on the front porch with your spouse and figure it out.
0: Great, great suggestion. And Aaron, I do coaching too, mindset, mindfulness coaching. And that does seem to be... The most unusual human condition in a way that so many people don't know what they want and i have people who journal and people who meditate and people who who pray and they still some of them still cannot get centered in truly on what they want. And that's part of our life's journey, really, I guess. But it, it just does seem like such a shame, like you said earlier, that so many people have trouble determining what they really want and what they really love. And uh, you obviously help people. Now, you help men mostly. How did you get into working specifically or pretty well specifically with
1: men? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I want to Go back just for a second before Mm -hmm. I answer that question. I want to talk just a little bit more on how people can get clarity uh, on on what, yeah, because I think this is a real, if they don't take anything out of this interview, but this, and it involves a little bit of a story. I told you earlier that I came from a family that didn't have anything financially. I mean, literally like zero. Uh, My dad probably never made $15,000 a year in his life. Right. And he died in two thousand six. But my dad was the kind of guy you'd want to hug him. Five minutes after being around him, you'd want to hug him like he everybody loved my dad because he was personable. We used to fish and hunt together, you know, every week of my life we'd either be hunting or fishing together. My dad was my best friend. He worked with me ten years before he died in one of my companies and we lived on the same street together. We talked to each other every day. My dad was my best friend and I miss him just terribly now. And it's been 10 years since he passed away. But when he died in 06, now I said all this, I set the stage for you so you could get a visual, you know, Mm -hmm. tangibly, he didn't have any possessions. But when the door opened at the funeral home, the day after he died, and we're standing there greeting the people to pay their condolences, I looked up and there, a line formed. And then I peeked around the corner. I looked, the line went out the door. I took a little bathroom break, went out there and looked and the, the line went through the parking lot and it was around the funeral home. And it took an hour and a half to get through the line for six hours. That's what the line was like over a guy that didn't have any stuff. Listen to this, Bruce. Every person told me, your dad did this for me your dad was there for me here your dad always gave candy to the children your dad would come and sit and help me he would help us move your dad even gave me this your dad did this not one person said your dad had a nice car a nice truck a nice house it was all about the relationship for six and a half hours people did that and i think you know what a pity We spend 95% of our time trying to get more stuff and no time building relationships intentionally. That's why you don't know what you want. You're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. If you will spend 20% of your time trying to help others, looking outward, you will get a deep sense of satisfaction like you've never experienced. There'll be a contentment come over you like you didn't know could be there because it's not about you. It's about other people. And once you pour into other people, you'll get all you want. That's the reason there's a void. That's the reason people don't know what they want. They're getting the wrong stuff.
0: Wow, that's a great story. And, and so sad, really, that people are getting the wrong stuff. And it, it be, seems like it's more and more the case. But way to go for helping so many men figure out what is really the important stuff in in life. Aaron, I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade, and I've seen how mindfulness and getting grounded can really make a huge difference for children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness could have
1: made a difference? Yeah, a funny (laughs) story. This is not a story you really wanted, but I'll tell it because it's funny. So when I was in the fourth grade I was walking home from school and there was this guy named Benny Creek. He was two grades ahead of me. He'd catch me at the same spot. (laughs) You'd think I'd be smart enough to change my routes home, but he'd catch me at the same spot. And he'd say, hey, you better give me whatever money you got left over or I'm going to take it from you. And I was scared of him, so I'd give him my money. And I did this week after week. And one day I went home and told my dad. (laughs) I said, man, there's this guy bullying me. Every day I come home, I told him who he was. My dad knew who he was. My dad said, let me tell you something. Tomorrow if you walked out through there and Benny Creek comes up to you and he asked you <laughs> for that money and you give it to him, he said, I'm going to whip you when you get home. And I said, what? He said, I want you to hit him right in the mouth. And I said, oh, my goodness. He said, because if you don't. And so it was a funny story. I was in the fourth grade anyway. The guy never bothered me again. I hit him square between between (laughs) the eyes, took off running. And that was not the right way to handle it. And you do not want to do that. So you people that are trying to be more mindful in dealing with bullying, don't take my dad's advice. (laughs) But anyway, it was a fun story to tell. And so Benny Creek stopped doing that. He did. Big A hit him right between the eyes. (laughs) I was in the fourth grade. I was scared to death. I took off running like a scalded dog after I did that. He didn't bother me anymore. But anyway, listen, we get bullied every day in business and we're not even conscious of it. We don't even know how to handle it. And oftentimes we go against our values and our integrity and our character as a result of it. We cave in. And I coach people all the time about having strong character and integrity, taking a stand. Uh, Even when you're alone, and that's oftentimes difficult. I'm on the leadership team at our church, and, you know, I've been a leader in our community, and I've owned a number of businesses. And many times the things that you want to do are not popular, and you might gain a reputation for being a person that takes a stand, but you never compromise your integrity, and so when you're fully mindful, you're fully aware of doing the right thing, and you've got to have a compass. For me, you know, my faith is my compass. and God's Word, the Bible is my guidebook, and I don't want to deviate from that. It's not the most popular sometimes, but the way I stay engaged, the way I keep my integrity is staying fully mindful of the guidebook through God's leadership and direction in my life and make good decisions. Oftentimes it's not popular. You've got to be willing to stand alone. Wow.
0: Yeah, you really do have to be willing to do that. Aaron, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short, 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness?
1: Uh, Bob Warren, without a question. He had he passed away two years ago in August, but he had a, uh, a, a training called basic training, and it's where he coached people. And without a question, can I mention two?
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. Dan Miller is another one. Dan Miller has 48 days to the work you love. He's been a personal friend, mastermind member, personal coach. Uh, he's been just uh, a guy that has transformed the way I think. And so, Bob Warren, uh, Dan Miller, two of my heroes.
0: So, how has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: Yeah, I think that sometimes we get in trouble dealing with our emotions. We make decisions based on our emotions, you know, 95% of the time rather than intellectually. And it's backwards. You know, we need to make decisions intellectually, uh, bearing in mind our emotions. But when we're fully aware that we're doing that, we can make conscience choices. And my choice is to make most of my decisions intellectually, not emotionally.
0: So tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice.
1: Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about breathing and the value that it adds. I've listened to a number of podcasts. Quite honestly, I've never practiced that except when listening to the podcast. I'm totally confident that it works. I know that breathing really relaxes you and it calms you. Quite honestly, I don't practice that. I'm not good at it. Uh, I could be good at it, but I've never really implemented that strategy, but I, I I do know it works. I do believe in it, but I'm not good at it, Bruce. You got to hold me accountable. (laughs) Well, Yes. And, uh, you you know, that's what I was saying earlier. Life
0: is a journey and we can, we always got to have something to work on. So there's something for you right there. Uh, if you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be, Aaron?
1: You know, I know there are tons of books out there. Uh, that uh, are great on mindfulness wherever you go there you will you know there you are and Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned a book earlier on mindset which really touches on this by Carol Dweck and it's called mindset that book radically changed my thinking thank you
0: if you could share an app that would help you to be more mindful what would that be
1: I don't have one
0: Okay. Uh, what advice would you give someone who is listening and they just think, oh, geez, where should I start? How could I get get moving in this direction to help me be more mindful?
1: Now, I can even help you with that, I think. Uh, there's a personal assessment that I wrote several years ago. And it really talks about your identity, your ideals, your relationships, your career, your faith, your family, things that are important to you, the big priorities of life. I've already mentioned the what do I want document. There's about 30 questions on it that really uh, dive deep into the things that maybe you should consider for your own personal life. And then earlier I mentioned steps to a productive day. It's a document that walks you through from waking up to going to bed and things that will help you be more productive. I've taken the price off of those. I'm not trying to sell your audience anything, but I'm going to give them to you. So if you'll go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash mindfulness, all in lowercase letters, I've made those documents available for you. And if you'll start there, I think it'll really start you out on your journey to being more fully aware. Wow.
0: And thank you for gifting those to Mindful Tribe. That is Fantastic! So, mindful tribe, don't hesitate. Get get right there to view from the top, uh, viewfromthetop.com/slash-mindfulness. Right? Isn't that? That's it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, make sure that you download those. That's really excellent. Is there any other way we can communicate with you, connect with you, kind of follow you a little bit more, Aaron?
1: That's awesome. If you'll just go to viewfromthetop.com, you'll find all ways there. I love people to interact on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll be able to do that from our website. That is terrific.
0: And just one last thing, on your Facebook Live recently, you, you had a, a great message about how, you know, just take a few minutes and, and spend time with, with people you love, your wife, your son, whoever it might be, and just say, what can I do? to be a better person for you. And so I put a little message on there and I said, I'm going to do that with my son. And you said, well, let me know how it goes. So I talked with him and he says, well, there's not really much. Well, well, there is one thing. Mm. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, sometimes I think you could be a little more serious. Mm. (laughs) And I thought, that's interesting. So I've really been thinking about that a lot. And I talked to him a bit more last night about it, but... I think that's something that we can all do to just stop for a second and ask those that really matter to us in our lives. Do you have any comments on that and how we can really make that a valuable exercise?
1: You know, what's funny, Bruce, is we do that with our peers. We do that with our clients, but we rarely do that with our family. And oftentimes we take advantage of the people that we love the most And it's because you can get away with it. So you couldn't get away with treating me in a negative way as a client because I would go somewhere else. And oftentimes the repercussions uh, that we have on our family uh, are really lifelong. And so we need to be sure that we're reaching out see, you wouldn't have known had you not asked your son, you wouldn't have known. You thought, well, this is fun. But see, now, you know, sometimes he wants to be serious and you can take that time and you can give him what he needs. We don't know sometimes what people need unless we ask. And so we made it a regular exercise. You know, I would ask my children, where's dad failed you? Maybe throw in a nugget. What have I done right? But where have I failed you? And I ask my wife often. Matter of fact, last week we had the same conversation. We've been married 30, almost 37 years now. And I said, you know, what are some things that maybe I'm doing that I'm not paying attention to? Now, she is not hesitant on telling me either. <laughs> and that's good communication. Or if she didn't, I'd keep going down the same path. And I may reach an impasse one day and not be able to repair it. So I think the sooner we can deal with it, the better Let's ask often, and as a result of that, you'll have an intimate, meaningful relationship. Well, thank you,
0: Aaron, for sharing so much valuable, valuable insight with us today. And uh, just have a great rest of your day, and we'll stay connected.
1: Thanks a lot, Bruce. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. See you, buddy. Okay, bye now.